Well, good morning, church. I've got uh, an added prayer request, if I could just toss your way. And just uh, this afternoon, about 4 o'clock, there's going to be about six, 700 football players, high school football players and coaches gathering for what's called a Night of Champions. Uh, I've got a lot of responsibility with it, leading a couple sessions. And the main speaker, though, is Coach Mark Rick. He's to be the head coach of the University of Georgia and then University of Miami. And uh, our goal is to get these six, 700 football players and coaches to hear the gospel. And at the end of the night, we're going to give them the opportunity to respond. So would you pray that these football coaches and these kids and all that are in attendance hear the word of God and they respond. Uh, I know this. If you reach one coach, you can reach a whole team. And so be praying for them. I'm excited about what's going to happen. And I look forward to that. But I'm more excited about what we're doing right now. So open up your Bibles, if you would, please. And open up to 1 Samuel chapter 17. We're going to be there just for a little bit. I just... I want to re- reference a story that I found in uh, 1 Samuel 17. You've all heard it before. But while you're turning there, 1 Samuel 17, has anybody ever looked at you after you did something, probably something not good, and they said, why did you do that? that ever happened to you? Like, why, why did you do that? Or maybe you were the person that looked at uh, maybe a child, a coworker, or your spouse, like, why did you do that? Why? Come on. Why did you do that? I saw a couple pictures, and I, I, I looked at that picture, and I said, why did you do that? Here's the first picture. A young gentleman here got a tattoo. You've heard of the phrase, no pain, no gain, right? I don't know how he said it to the tattoo artist, like, no pain, no gain, okay? Because he spelled P-E-N, not P-A-I-N. So I'm sure, I'm, I'm looking, I would have to ask the tattoo artist, first of all, why did you do that? Or maybe he meant to do that, and I'd have to ask the kid, why did you do that, right? Or how about this picture? Um, it's a picture here. We've got a, a jar on the left that said coffee and a jar on the right that said tea. But we're going to cross out coffee, put tea, cross out tea, put coffee. Why did you do that? I mean, maybe you wanted the tea jar on the left. You could have just taken one jar and moved it. But we're just going to cross it out and write coffee and tea. I don't know why, but why, why did you do that? It, there's, there's things that we do in life, and some people look at us, and they're going to say, why did you do that? And I was listening to a message recently by Brad Gray. I, I enjoy listening to other pastors preach and teachers and, and learn as well. And I was encouraged and challenged by a question that he poised in this message. And that was the question. Why did he do that? And, and, and so to, to help you understand why that question came up, let's go back in history. I'm going to go back to the nation of Israel when it was really young. They came out of Egypt. They start their nation. They're following God. But then they're like, we want a man to rule us. We want a king like all these other nations. they got kings. We want a king. So God reluctantly said, okay, you can have a king. you got Saul. But here's the thing. They've got now a man for their, their the king leading their country, their nation. But other nations around them, even though they knew about God, they're like, we're still going to crush you. We're still going to attack you, Israel. And sure enough, a, a group from, uh, called the Philistines bring in an army towards Israel to pick a fight with this young nation. So King Saul is basically pitted against the Philistines. So if you're reading with me, 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 1, it says this. The Philistines now mustered their army for battle, camped between Sakah and Judah in Azekah at Ephesdamon. Saul countered by gathering his Israelite troops near the valley of Elah. So the Philistines and Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with a valley in between them. Verse 4, Then Goliath, a Philistine 
champion from Gath came out of the Philistine ranks to face the, the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. So now you're like, ah, yes, David and Goliath. I know this story. Okay, so here's the thing. We got the story of David and Goliath. This is a, a, a bright moment in history for this shepherd boy named David. He's going about ready to defeat well, who we know as this mighty giant called Goliath. You find in scripture, we've read about it, right? But have you ever asked this question? David, why did you charge into battle, into this valley, to face a nine-foot soldier, a giant? That's, that's the question. As I was listening to this message, I thought, yeah, why did he do that? I mean, that's, that's crazy, right? Remember, David was sent out there by his father. His dad's like, hey, go check on your brothers. Take them some supplies. So we got our supplies. I'm going to go see my brothers. Hey, guys, how you doing? You know, I'm the shepherd. You guys are soldiers. And now, all of a sudden, he, a shepherd boy, is going to go fight a seasoned soldier over nine feet tall. Why? Why did he do that? Have you ever asked that question? Like right now, if you had a piece of paper, and I'd say, you write down your reasons why you think he did that, okay? I'm going to give you 10. I asked the first service. I said, hey, if you got any other reasons, give them to me. I'll share them with the second service because I don't know everything. I would love to know. Uh, maybe your thoughts. Why would David do that? Here's, here's my 10 reasons. First of all, he wanted to prove to his brothers that he's better than they thought because remember, when he showed up, his brother's like, what are you doing here? You want to fight? Go home. You're just a shepherd boy. So it's like, I'm going to show my brothers that I can do something, right? Maybe it was the king would make him rich. Now, these were actually listed. The king's going to make you rich. I will give you my daughter in marriage. Oh, that's another reason up there. Oh, here's the one I would, here's why I would fight. No more taxes for the rest of my life. I'm in. I'll fight, right? Number five, maybe he had this death wish, like, I have nothing to live for. If I die, I die. Could be. Reason number six, he was just foolish. I mean, come on. What are you thinking? Maybe he trusted God to do a miracle. Maybe he's just crazy, a daredevil. I mean, he's just, he's like, hey, I don't care. I'm going to go out there. And, you know, these are the people that do the X games, right? I mean, they're, they're on these high ramps and they're just jumping all over the place. Maybe that was David. I don't know. Maybe he was just arrogant and a, little, and a cocky little kid, just like, eh, nobody can beat me. I'm bad, you know. I don't know. Or, number 10, nobody else is going to do it. Might as well be me. Now, I'm sure you, maybe you've got a reason that I didn't list, but I'm trying to ask and answer the question, why did you do this, David? David, why did you do it? I, I tried to come up with answers. Now, go back to the story. For 40 days, think about this. David would come out to the Israelites and talk them down, trash talk them. You're horrible. You're bad. I'm bigger than you. I'll beat you, right? Christian trash talk. Or, well, it wasn't Christian, really. He got really nasty. And so in the morning, they're getting bad news, right? What do we do in the morning when we get bad news? We sulk all the rest of the day. We just dwell on bad news. He comes back out every evening and does the same thing. Trash talk. You're horrible. You're terrible. And so forth and so on. So morning and evening. At evening, you hear bad news. It's hard to sleep at night, isn't it? What a great strategy. If I can defeat you up here, you're no good out there. 40 days. That's called a habit. You have a habit of hearing lies and believing lies. You will easily be defeated. So there's the children of Israel. They're already defeated. David shows up. Has he been listening to the lies? No, he's been out taking care of sheep. He's probably singing to the sheep. He's, he's having a good time rejoicing with the Lord. And he shows up and he hears this giant cursing his God. Now think about this. David, not being present, comes in, sees what's going on. And all of a sudden like, do you hear what he's saying? I'll go fight him. No shield, no spear. 
no armor whatsoever, runs into the battlefield to beat Goliath. Why? Why would he do that? Philistine, Goliath, he looks at David. He sees him. He despises him. He starts cursing David. You're just a kid. And then Goliath continues to taunt and threaten David. Look what happens in verse 45. David replied to the Philistine, You come to me with sword, spear, and javelin. I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. In that moment, Goliath defied God. He heard about all of the horrible things that Goliath was saying about God. David's sitting there, he's just hearing it over and over. And that upset David. Sin should upset the Christian. That's what sin should do. The sins of this world, the rebellion against God should turn our stomachs, should spiritually and emotionally upset us as Christians. There should be some kind of response. When we see something that is ungodly, we shouldn't sit there and say, oh, that's pretty cool. It's not cool. It's gross. It's wrong. It's messy. And David walks up on this, and here's Goliath cursing his holy God, making fun of his amazing, awesome God. And David's like, I will not stand for that. That's wrong. It's messy. It's wrong. Now, at FCA camp, you heard about last week, we got back, we had a great praise report. Something we added a year ago, because we sort of saw how this worked, was called Messy Night. Now, Messy Night is all about getting as gross and messy as possible as you can, and I'll tell you why in a second. But we started off this year with a color run. If you've never done a color run, we just told the kids, hey, get your swimsuits on. Um, we're going to give everybody a white T-shirt, uh, old shoes. You can do like a quarter or three-quarter mile maybe jog run, however you want to do it. Cross-country runners, there's no such thing as a jog. They're all fast, right? And as they're running, there's huddle leaders, adult sponsors with these condiment bottles filled with powder, colored powder. As you go by, they just spray the kids and they get all colored up and everything. Their white shirts become green, red, orange, yellow and everything. And then they got to the back to the recreation field after the run. And then we started messy games. One of the first games we did was we had a bowl of pudding. And basically the bowl of pudding was a bunch of fruit snacks without using your hands. Put your face in, try to find at least four fruit snacks, spit them out into somebody else's hand and uh, count them up, first one wins. So as you can see by some of the pictures, some of our kids, they got really puddinged up, right? Oh, we're not done. Next thing is called musical buckets. Now we take a bucket, fill it with about three quarters, or I'm sorry, a third of water, can of pop, bunch of juice, a couple cups of ketchup. Stir it up, whatever. Now you're circled up in your group, and as the bucket's going around, when the music stops, mm, sorry, dump it over their head, okay? And, I, you know, I'm sitting there going, no, that's not too bad. I forget there's some people who don't like ketchup, okay? The fact that it was dated 2021 or something, I don't know, it might have been a problem too. But anyway, so that's the, then we have the third game. Third game was you had to pass an object between your leg to the person behind you, to the person behind you. So I'm grabbing it from somebody and I'm passing it on. And then that person runs to the front of the line. And as they're running to the front of the line, they pass between their leg. We started off with a raw tomato. That was fun. Uh, a little gross, right? But then we brought it out. It's like, are you guys all in? Yeah, are you committed? Yeah, all right. Cow tongue. You ever see a cow tongue, how long they are? Pulled fresh out of the package. Might have had a little bit of blood dripping off of it. So anyway, they're like, I've never seen so many kids dry heave, laugh, and cry at the same time. I mean, it was like, uh, uh, it was like everywhere. And it's, yeah, it was gross. It was gross. It was messy. 
right? So all that's going on. These kids are getting covered with yuck, facing the pudding, touching things they don't want to ever touch in their life, right? And you're saying, Rex, we're never sending our kids to your camp, okay? But they got really messy. Why? Because the point of the evening is we want you to get messy and gross and it's like sick to your stomach. It's like, that's this horrible, right? But here's the thing. When we get done, you're going to go down this big thing. We call it the foam daddy. It's a slip and slide with a lot of foam in it. And then you start getting washed off and cleaned off, right? And you start getting all that gross stuff off of you. And then we hose you down. Last year, we just went down the lake and everybody got basically baptized in the lake. Go back to your cabin, get a shower, come to chapel. Why? Why would we do that? Because we want you to understand sin is messy. It's gross. It should make you sick to your stomach. You should not want to touch it and mess with it. But here's the good news. God will wash you clean. If you repent, he will take away it all and he will wash you clean. And that was the message we wanted these kids to hear. Sin is nothing to play around with, right? We, um, we got home and, um, and I found a Bible and a journal that got left behind and a pair of shorts and a water bottle. I mean, lost and found is always fun. Um, but I found a journal and I thought, well, I'm gonna open it up and maybe there's somebody's name in the front and I can return their journal to them and there was no name and there's no name in the front of the Bible. But on the second page was what our speaker talked about at chapel. And again, I did not, hey, by the way, chaplain, this is what we're gonna be doing with the messy games. He didn't know, but he knew what he wanted to speak on and aligned right up with knowing what we're gonna be doing. And this is what this student wrote down. Sin will always take you farther than you want. Sins against God. Cheating is a sin. Cursing is a sin. Sex before marriage is a sin. Um, homosexuality is a sin against God. Gossip is a sin. Making fun of somebody is a sin. Pride is a sin. It's what got Satan kicked out of heaven. Worry is a sin. Racism is a sin. So the, the, the chaplain that night was just nailing it down. And these kids like, yes, yes. That was the night a lot of kids repented. And he talked about how sin should make us angry and sick and sick to our stomach because that's what it does to God. Sin angers God. Sin turns the stomach of God. And being a follower of God, we should feel the same way. And so when you look in here and you're reading 1 Samuel and what's going on, David is sick of what Goliath is saying. He's angry against how his God is being defied. And he's like, this needs to get cleaned up. 1 Samuel 17, 46 says this, Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And it's like, man, he just got graphic. Man, he just got mean. I'm telling you, when, when sin is a mess, it takes a lot to clean up a mess. And he's like, this is what we're going to have to do. And as arrogant and cocky as he sounds, don't miss this. He shares with us the why right in there, why he chose to fight. He shares with us why he chose to defend God. And here's the thing, does God need to be defended? Yes or no? No, not at all. God is big enough, he can defend himself. But guess what? We get to join the cause and say, I'm gonna defend the God that I serve. And look what he says again. If you didn't see in verse 46, look what it says right there. And at the very bottom, and the whole world will know that there's a God in Israel. Here's the reason, here's the point to this message, so that the whole world will know. So that the whole world will know. He says it again in verse 47. Everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with the sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle. 
and he'll give you to us. Again, cocky or confident? Arrogant or in awe of God? I believe he is confident and in awe of God. And he says, you know what? By his power, by his strength, the strength that comes from God, that is how we're going to be victorious today. He knows what the Apostle Paul will later down, a thousand plus years down the road is going to say, and that is Christ in us. David gets it. He knows that God is with him and that his God has been defied by this pagan. Like, oh, I'm going to tell you about your God. It's like, no, 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 no. You don't talk that way about my God. Sin is messy, and it needs to be cleaned up. 1 Kings chapter 8, 41 to 43. Here's another opportunity. David's son Solomon dedicates the temple. It's the opening of God's temple. I'm telling you, this is bigger. They talked about this in some books I was reading. They talk about the, the temple being dedicated was bigger than like the opening ceremony of the Olympics. So if you've ever watched that on TV or been there or something like that, it's like, it's big, it's huge. This is God's temple being opened up. He gathers people and reminds them of their history, and then he prays. And check out what he prays. He says this, In the future, foreigners who do not belong to your people Israel will hear of you. They will come from distant lands because of your name. For they will hear of your great name and your strong hand and your powerful arm. And when they pray toward the temple, then hear from heaven where you live and grant what they ask you. In this way, the people of all the earth will come to know and fear you just as your own people Israel do. They will know that this temple that I built honors your name. I, we are building this temple. We have built this temple to honor you, God, so that they may know your name. What is the name of God? Well, he has the main name, the, the golden name, the, the most powerful name, and that is Yahweh. That is Yahweh. But then there's so many other names listed throughout the Old Testament that describe who God is because there's a moment in history that took place and then his name was given to recognize what took place. Uh, El Shaddai, Lord God Almighty. That's the complete nourishing, satisfying, supplying of his people like a mother would be able to take care of her child as a mother can, uh, can be very tenderhearted and nourish and bless and sustain. That is God. God sustains us. That is El Shaddai. El Elyon, this is the most high God. Jehovah Nisi, this is the Lord is my banner. In, in battle, your armies would have a banner and they would march in front with that banner. And you would recognize, that's my flag, that's my team, that's my army. I will march behind it under that banner. And when armies would come, they'd come out with their, their banners in front. The Lord is my banner. Jehovah Nisi meaning he is the one, my focal point that leads me. Um, Jehovah Ra, which is the Lord is my shepherd, Psalm 23. And El Olam, which is the everlasting God, God is eternal. Then another one, which you probably has become more popular lately because of a song, Jehovah Jireh, it's Jehovah Yireh. Not Jehovah Jireh, but Jehovah Yireh. That's the pronunciation for how it's to be said. It's the Lord will provide. Where did that come from? It's only used once in the Bible. It's already got a popular song about it now. But it's only used once in the Bible. Abraham was about ready to put his son Isaac on the altar. He actually put his son on the altar. God said, I want you to offer up your son to me. And Abraham says, I trust you, God. If you want me to sacrifice my only son, I will sacrifice my only son. Sound familiar? John three sixteen. So Abraham lays Isaac down, ready to sacrifice. He's got the knife out. He's about ready to plunge the knife into his own and one and only son who has promised to be a blessing among many nations. And as he's about ready to stop, God says, stop, 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 stop. And God's like, I, I know you trust me. 
but I'm providing another sacrifice. And over in the thicket was a ram. And that ram was brought to the altar and Isaac got off and they sacrificed the ram. And it was in that moment God said, I will provide for you. Jehovah Yireh, God provides. That's what that name means. God provides for us. These are the names of God. Jehovah Shalom, which is the Lord is peace. Peace is, is that absence from strife. These are the names of God. And Solomon says, I want the world to know who my God is. First Kings chapter 18, we put that on the screen. Elijah, he's now battling against these false prophets of Baal. On Mount Carmel, you might remember that moment. Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and he prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, who we just talked about, Prove today that you are God in Israel and that I'm your servant. Prove that I have done all of your commands. Oh, Lord, answer me. Answer me what? So these people what? So these people will know, oh, Lord, that you have brought them back to yourself. In the book of 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 19, Hezekiah, he is now about ready to be, uh, foreign troops are going to come in and attack him. And so he's all worried now saying, the nation of Israel is going to be defeated. And he starts praying and he goes into the temple. And as he prays before the Lord, he says, bend down, O Lord, and listen. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. He's like crying out to God. And in verse 19, he says this, now, O Lord, Rescue us from his power. Then all the kingdoms of the earth will know that you alone, O Lord, are God. You see in these scriptures, throughout scriptures, it keeps saying, so that they will know, so that they will know, so that they will know. Isaiah 45, 4, last one. And why have I called you for this work? God says, why did I call you by name when you didn't know me? It is for the sake of Jacob, my servant, Israel, my chosen one. I am the Lord. There's no other God. I've equipped you for battle, though you didn't even know me. Look at verse 4. So all the world from the east to west will know there's no other God. As God speaks to Isaiah, says, I want you to know there's no other God. And I want all the world to know. So why have we been in 1 Peter 3.15? Why have we been talking about defending our faith and anchoring our faith into God's word? Why should I know what I believe and why I believe? Why? One, so yeah, I can defend myself, but two, so that the world will know. So that the world will know our God. So that the world will know the name of our God. This is why we share our faith. So that the whole world will know. Jesus comes along later in the book of Matthew and he says this as part of the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you're the light of the world. A city, like a city on a hilltop that can't be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it underneath a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Our good deeds are supposed to be visible. Not so that we get a pat on the back. No, no. We do our good deeds. They shine like a light because of our faith. You remember Ramon preached a few weeks ago about how faith and works go together. It isn't like I do one or I do the other. It's a result of one and the other. Because I believe there are good works. There are good works and you should be able to see my faith. And we shine not because we want to shine. We shine because we are giving glory to God because of we are living out our faith. We want the world to know. Turn your Bibles to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. 
Now, in John chapter 14, here's the thing. There's another scripture you can look up if you want sometimes. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, verses 14 to 17. 2 Corinthians 2, 14 to 17. You can look up that one sometime. It talks, Paul talks about how we are like a, we're an odor in this world. We smell. To some, we have a pleasant aroma. To others, we're the stench of death. See, as a Christian, you, you stink in a good way and bad way. As a, as a Christian, you've got this pleasant smell, this aroma of God. You are life-giving to people. But the people who do not like God, who deny God, you are a horrible stench to them. You're the stench of death to them. And Paul talks about it. It's like, as a Christian, the world's going to know who you are. They just say, mm, yeah, I know what you like, right? They should be able to see you. They should be able to smell you, right? Not literally, like, okay, but people will know. They will know what you believe, right? So John chapter 14, here's the thing. As we wrap this up, because we're wrapping up the, this whole sermon series on being anchored in our faith, okay? I want you to understand this. We want to defend our faith, one, because we do need to know what we believe and why we believe in a world that has very shifting right now. You need to be anchored in truth. But here's the thing. We do this because we want the world to know. We want the world to know. We don't do it with, with, with rocks and stones and yelling at people, but with love and respect, we want people to know the God that we serve. And we want everybody to know his name. And now here comes the part where some of you are like, okay, but I'm a little nervous about it. I don't know if I can do it. I'm going to answer that for you right now, okay? You can do this. Look at the world, look at the room, anybody in the room, I don't care what it is right now, and just say right now, look their direction, say, so that the world will know. Go for it. Yep, do it again. So that the world will know. Say it again. All right, now look up at me and say, so the world will know. Yes, that's why we're going to do this, so that the world will know. But it's like, how am I going to do this? John chapter 14, check it out. Jesus has been talking to the disciples. You're going to have troubles. You're going to have problems. I know you're scared. I know you're anxious. Don't be troubled. It's going to be okay. I'm going, to, I'm, I'm going away. I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to this place where I'm preparing a lot of rooms for you. It's heaven. It's, it's awesome. It's incredible. And he goes through all of this, but then go to verse 15. In verse 15, it says this. If you love me, obey my commands. And I will ask the Father... And he will give you another advocate and, he will ne- and you will never leave you. Now listen very carefully. Jesus says, listen, I'm going to be going, but I'm, going to, I'm talking to the Father right now and he's going to give you another advocate, another counselor. In other words, the Holy Spirit. Uh, the word another in Greek means duplicate. Duplicate. So Jesus is like saying, listen, I'm going to be going, but there's going to be somebody that's just like me that's going to be right by your side. Paraclesis means like attached to your side. And who is that going to be? Look at the verse, next verse. He is the Holy Spirit who leads in all truth. And he's never going to leave you. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and will later be in you. Jesus says, listen, he's living with you now. That's me, Jesus. And he'll be with you later. That's the Holy Spirit. When I leave, Holy Spirit comes. You will always have one of us with you. The duplicate is right here. You are not alone. Christian, do you understand this? Each of you and everyone in this room that has ever proclaimed your faith in Jesus Christ, you have repented of your sins. You've asked for Christ to forgive you of your sins. He has forgiven you. He's given you Holy Spirit. You are not alone. His Spirit is in you. What Jesus was saying here was not only to his disciples, but to you as well, church. He goes on to say this. Check this out, verse 18. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. We all know what it feels like to be abandoned. We all know what it feels like to be alone. We always know, like, you turn around, like, oh, where did they go? How come they left me? We all know what that's like. And Jesus says, you will not be abandoned by me. I will not leave you. I will come to you. Look at verse 19. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you'll see me. 
Since I live, you will also live. We get that eternal hope, right? When I'm raised to life again, you will know that I am in my Father, you're in me, I'm in you. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. Because they love me, my Father will love them. And I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. Judas, not Judas Iscariot, but the other disciple with that name said, Lord, why are you going to reveal yourself only to us and not to the whole world? Jesus replied, all who love me and do what I say, my Father will love them. And we will come and make our home with each of them. Did you catch that last part? Jesus says, we, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, will come and make our home in each of you. It's like you have the presence of God in you. So that the world may know, how am I going to tell the world? Don't worry, man. God's working in you. He's working through you. You've got his spirit. I heard a drummer one time try to explain the, the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Okay, Three in one. There's one God, but they're the same. It's like, that's so hard to get, right? God who creates all things. Jesus who walked on the earth in the Spirit. We're like, I have no idea what the Spirit is, right? We'll, we'll get there someday. But it's three in one. And he says, this is how I explain the Trinity to people. I, I take a banana, I peel it, I cut off the top, and then I stick my finger right down the middle, and the banana splits into three. Did you guys know that? I do this all the time. It's the same substance, but it's in three. Try that sometime. It isn't like you get a banana and you put your finger right down the middle and split it and it becomes orange, apple, grape. No, it's banana. Same substance, split in three. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That's the Trinity right there, okay? And what Jesus is saying is, my spirit, myself, the Father, we're making our home in you. We're residing in you. He goes on to say this, Verse 24, anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. And remember, my words are not my own. What I'm telling you is from the Father who sent me. I'm telling you these things right now while I'm still with you. He had you. He had to drill it home. This, I'm telling you right now. I'm right here with you. I'm in your presence. John, write it down. Put it in the book later, okay? This is what's all going to happen, right? Verse 26, but when the Father sends the advocate, the Holy Spirit, the counselor, as my representative... He will teach you everything and he'll remind you everything I've told you. Did you get that promise? I don't know what I'm going to say to people. What did Jesus say? My spirit will help you know what to say. My spirit will help you know what to respond. And sometimes we don't know what to say to people. Sometimes we don't know how to respond to people when we, we sort of not say combat, but when we have opposition with what we believe. It's like, I don't know how to bring this about. Let the Holy Spirit speak for you. And if you're not sure what to say, that's all right. Just in that moment, just pray, Heavenly Father, help me know what to say right now. Because I don't know what to say. I don't, I don't have the words. And he says, i got the words. Just give me a moment, I'll give them to you. Or maybe I'll give them to you after you walk away from that conversation. That happens to me all the time, right? I walk away, oh, I wish I would have said this. And then it's like, it's not too late. The conversation doesn't have to be over. You can go back and talk with him again. He gives us what we need. Look at verse 27. I'm leaving you with a gift. Peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give, so don't be troubled or afraid. In John 14, before Jesus leaves, he reminds his disciples, he reminds us, I'm giving you my spirit. The exact likeness of myself. And that Holy Spirit gives us peace. So we're not alone. The Holy Spirit gives us power. The Holy Spirit gives us courage. The Holy Spirit gives us what we need so that we can let the world know who our God is and why we worship him.
Church, listen very carefully. You have Christ in you, so rejoice. You have Christ in you, so let him shine for you. You have Christ in you, so stand firm, stand strong. You have Christ in you, so love one another as he's loved you. You have Christ in you, so shine the good news for the world to see. Church, you have Christ in you. Amen? Worship team, would you come forward, please? As a believer in Jesus Christ, we must anchor our thoughts, our minds, our hearts on truth, which is God's word. Our decision-making, our behavior is based off of a firm foundation found in God's word. With the help of the Holy Spirit working in us, you can stand strong. You don't need to be sort of, sort of cowardly step back. I don't know. You've got this. Christ in you. Christ is in you. He is at work in you. God is at work in you. The Holy Spirit is at work in you. So remain anchored. Remain strong. Stand firm. Would you stand, please? Just as you're standing right now, standing firm in the truth, standing upon truth, the Holy Spirit helps you to stand, to say, I'm tired of people defying my God. I will stand for you, God. And I'll be anchored because I know your spirit's in here, right here. And he's going to help me stand. <clears throat> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an amazing God you are. I'm so thankful, God, that you have chosen. You've chosen to work through us, your, your created beings, humanity. You could have ushered us into heaven all right now. This all could be done. But there must be something else yet to take place on this earth. So God, while we are still here, help us to stand firm. Help us to stand strong. Let us boldly proclaim your name. Let us be anchored in the truth of your word. And may your Holy Spirit work through us so that the world will know that you are God. You are Yahweh. You are Lord over all. Thank you, God, for who you are and what you have chosen to do through us. Lord, we love you, and we want to sing to you now, Lord. In thy name we pray, amen.